fire rescue, EMS, law enforcement. These are the three components of public safety, and those who answer the call are the first responders. Welcome to another episode of Five Alarm Task Force, news and issues for today's first responders with your host, Steve Green. Five Alarm Task Force presents some of the best instructors and mentors in public safety today to educate, elucidate, and entertain. No topic is out of bounds and every opinion has value. Five Alarm Task Force is brought to you by Insight Fire Training, LLC, your best bet for fire service, thermal imaging, camera training, and by the Firehouse Tribune, where you can expand your horizons in emergency services and learn to work hard, stay safe, and live inspired. And our promotional partners, Dalmatian Productions, Chief Miller Products and Sites, Hennessy Distributing, your source for the cool towel, the Firefighter Cancer Foundation, fighting to extinguish firefighter cancer since 2004, the Firefighter Cancer Sport Network, Nesta Bars, and the 2019 Great Florida Fire School. Remember, our ultimate goal is for you to be safe and return home after every call. So insert those earphones or turn up those speakers. The Five Alarm Task Force is being dispatched right now. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, or good night. Whenever you listen, welcome to another episode of Five Alarm Task Force, news and issues for today's first responders. I'm your host, Steve Green. My guest today is someone very well known in both EMS and fire circles. It is uh, Chief Gary Ludwig, uh, well-experienced, uh, great guy, writes, had, has been writing a column for Firehouse Magazine for years and he's currently the uh, fire chief of Champaign, Illinois Fire Department. And today, uh, the chief is here to talk about his new book, Fully Involved Leadership. And he'll join us in just a couple of moments. First, we have to clear out a little uh, what we call podcast business. And if you're a first-time listener, we're happy to have you with us and glad you decided to listen to an episode of Five Alum Task Force. And we have more than 150 other pa- uh, podcasts you can listen to. Just visit our website at www.dalmatianproductions.tv and hit the podcast page and you'll be taken to our library several pages of our library of all our podcasts so thank you and welcome aboard glad to have you while you're on our website by the way folks you can also visit our homepage where you can sign up for our newsletter no we don't send spam Uh, we do protect your uh, email we don't sell it or turn it over to anybody else unless there's a legal requirement to and the newsletter is just comes out several times a year there will be one coming out shortly and just keeps you appraised of what's going on in uh, the podcast business and dalmatian productions etc so we hope you'll join you'll join us for that if you follow us on facebook please make sure you like us and our pages are forward slash dalmat prod or forward slash dalmat prod fire and let us hear back from you leave a message for us uh, or a comment there on on those Facebook pages so we can know that you're following us. And uh, the platform that you listen to your podcast from, whether it's iTunes or Spotify, Google Play, Listener Notes, whatever, they usually have a way that you can rate the podcast. And we need your help. We need you to please give us five stars and write a great comment about it because that's the way that platform looks where they're going to place us in the search. Thus, Anyone new who's searching for Five Alarm Task Force will find us more quickly 
the better our rankings are with that platform. So hope you'll take care of that. And finally, one of the great ways you can also help the podcast and help a great charity as well is by uh, visiting our store with our friends from Teespring. You go to bit.ly forward slash Dalmet store with a capital D on Dalmet and a capital S on store. And it's all one word, Dalmet store. And there are several t-shirts you can choose from and a couple of hot beverage or cold beverage mugs to select that has our logo on it. And a considerable amount of the net proceeds of the sales have been and will continue to be sent to the National Fallen Firefighters Foundation. And that's it. That's our business. So stay tuned. We'll be right back with our guest, Chief Gary Ludwig, right after these words. Please stay tuned. New technology for the fire service seems to appear almost every day. And that technology demands a learning curve, especially if we're talking about thermal imaging cameras. That's where Insight Fire Training LLC is your best bet. With an excellent reputation across the U.S., Insight Fire Training will meet all your TIC training needs. Their curriculum is peer-reviewed and has been used internationally. Their instructors are Level 1 Thermography Certified, and they have taught in 33 states and 4 countries. Their courses run from introductory to training the trainers. Courses are available online, for the classroom, classroom hybrid, and even live fire. Insight Training LLC is proficient in over 40 thermal imaging cameras, so you feel confident they will know your make and model. Best of all, programs are customized to your specific needs, and their cadre of fire service veterans are vetted craftsmen of Project Kill the Flashover. They are so proficient that they have trained tick manufacturers on how to best use and sell their own product. That's Insight Fire Training, LLC. Look them up on InsightTrainingLLC.com, your best bet for tick training. Would you like to meet up with Andy and the team from Insight Training? Well, 2019 will be the year to do it. Here's part of their upcoming schedule. May 2nd through the 5th, the VCOS Conference in Phoenix, Arizona. Instructor Andy Starnes will be speaking on spiritual survival skills for the fire service. All proceeds go to charity. May 8th through 11th, at the West Virginia Public Safety Expo, Insight Training will conduct an eight-hour live fire training event where students will complete various scenario-based objectives. May 17th, a free situational awareness webinar sponsored by FLIR. This free webinar sold out in just six hours. But hold on. Andy and the team will explain the differences between situational awareness thermal imaging cameras and decision-making cameras. Don't worry. This webinar will be repeated on June the 5th with unlimited participant registration for free. May 22nd, Indiana Fire Instructors Association presents a live webinar on the Tactical 360, enhancing a fire ground strategies and tactics from 6.30 p.m. until 9.30 p.m., featuring instructor Andy Starnes. This three-hour course is offered for only $25. Information and registration are found at the following link, http colon forward slash forward slash www.eventbrite.com forward slash e as an echo forward slash tactical dash three six zero dash enhancing dash fireground dash strategies dash and dash tactics 
dash tickets dash five eight nine four two three seven six two three four if you didn't catch that link drop an email to downmatproductoutlook.com and we'll be happy to send it out to you june 5th free situational awareness webinar sponsored by clear watch inside training page for the registration link very soon june 14th an eight-hour tactical thermal imaging classroom session in north metro colorado details to follow and june 19th through the 23rd family camp at black mountain north carolina instructor andy starnes will be leading fire-based family devotions each day insight training llc your best bet for tick training The Firehouse Tribune, where inspiration was forged by those who came before us, opening the doors for us to build a path, a path to share our mission with the rest of the emergency service world. With a small, tight-knit team of first responders dedicated to sharing experiences and knowledge, we constantly strive to provide our followers with thought-provoking content from all aspects of emergency services and life. Our contributors speak at top fire and EMS conferences in the country. They have been guests on numerous fire service podcasts, will even come and speak at your firehouse or event. Interested? Visit their website, www.thefirehousetribune.com and find them on Facebook using The Firehouse Tribune and on Twitter at FH Tribune and on Instagram, FH Tribune. We live by one motto, not just in emergency services, but in life as well. Excellence is a habit, not a goal. We look forward to hearing from you soon. Until next time, work hard, stay safe, and live inspired. Welcome to Chief Miller. Chief Miller operates the largest social media page dedicated to the men and women of the fire service from around the world. Check him out on Instagram at Chief underscore Miller. Find him on Twitter at Chief underscore Miller. And check out the website where you can find Chief Miller Apparel at ChiefMillerApparel.com. And welcome back to this episode of Five Alarm Task Force News and Issues for Today's First Responders. And my guest today is, is a returning guest, but it's a uh, gentleman that I have followed for years, reading his columns on EMS and fire firefighting in Firehouse Magazine, and that is Chief Gary Ludwig. The chief is now is currently the chief of Champaign, Illinois Fire Department. He's a well-known author and lecturer who has 40 years experience in fire rescue and EMS. Chief Ludwig started his career with the city of St. Louis at age 18, just two months out of high school rising through the ranks and retiring as the chief paramedic of the St. Louis Fire Department after 25 years of service. He has also served 10 years as deputy fire chief for the Memphis Fire Department, managing their EMS system. Chief Ludwig previously served on the EMS Executive Board for the International Association of Fire Chiefs for 22 years, with six years as the chair. He is also a member of the IAFF EMS Standing Committee, and has written monthly columns for Firehouse Magazine for over 20 years. He has a master's degree in business and management and has been a licensed paramedic for over 38 years. He has written over 500 articles for professional publications such as Firehouse Magazine, Fire Rescue, Fire Engineering, GEMS, and EMS World magazines. He has also been invited to speak at over 250 professional EMS or fire conferences or seminars such as Fire Rescue International, FDIC, Firehouse Expo, EMS Today, and EMS Expo. He is the co-author of several books and is the author of Blood, Sweat, Tears, and Prayers, 
firefighting and EMS in some of the toughest cities in America. And welcome to the Butterbeck School of Mismanagement, the business school that creates terrible leaders. In 2014, he was awarded the James O. Page EMS Leadership Award. And if you've been in EMS for any length of time, you know that uh, Jim Page was probably one of our the greatest mentors for those of us who started EMS back in the day. And uh, last year, uh, the chief was elected the vice president of the IAFC. And later this summer, he will be, God willing, elected as the president. Chief, it's a pleasure to welcome you back to the show. Thank you, Steve. It's just truly an honor to be on your show. And uh, it is just a, a blessing to be in fire and emergency services. And so uh, we're all blessed, and uh, I'm, I'm honored to be with you on today. Well, thank you very much, and it really is our pleasure. And when I, I, I didn't have a chance to read the book, folks, but I want to read a comment that I found about the Chief's new book, Fully Involved Leadership. One of the fire service's most well-known and respected leaders reveals principles and events that have shaped his and other chiefs' careers and leadership values that no cookie-cutter leadership or management book can provide. The real-world experiences and lessons that are vividly detailed in his book provide a roadmap for any aspiring firefighter wishing to be promoted, a company or chief officer looking to go to the next level, or a fire chief who wishes to further develop his or her leadership skills. Fully Involved Leadership, written by Chief Gary Ludwig, addresses the tenets of leading firefighters at all ranks and levels and provides a blueprint for not only motivating firefighters but inspiring them, not showing them how much you know but how much you care. That leadership is not a position or title. It is an action and examples reminding you that rank does not equate to leadership, the inverted table of organization, and much more. Fully Involved Leadership is filled with powerful leadership topics and at its core addresses the values of trust, the two key qualities needed to be a fire service leader, character and competence. How to keep your emotions in check by using I before E, intelligence before emotions. How to keep from making a wrong decision, why it is important to show honor to your firefighters, plus a whole lot more. Chief Ludwig offers a warm and engaging offers warm and engaging stories of not only his experiences, but other chief officers and how they learn from their mistakes when it comes to leadership. Chief Ludwig provides insights and hard lessons learned that makes you reflect upon the question, who would you follow if your life depended on it? And Chief, I cannot think of a better review that from all the ones I read online for the book than this one and the point that you made that people... Learn, good leaders learn from their mistakes. Absolutely, and um, I, I, yes, that, that's um, that 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 review sums up a lot. And it is; it's not a cookie cutter book. Uh, it is real life, real experiences, real solutions to everyday management and leadership issues that we face as company officers, uh, chief officers, and fire chief officers. And uh, these are things that, that I have compiled from my own experiences and from others. And, uh, you, know, I, I, you know, Steve, one of the things that's interesting to me is that um, when I first started in St. Louis, uh, I'll never forget being first couple of weeks being lectured by a senior firefighter who tried to tell me my, my, that my generation was lazy and 
didn't want to do anything. And we were just, you know, we were just, you know, we're the, uh, the epitome of, of laziness and complacency. And, uh, after he got done telling me that he went off and went into the bed hall and went to sleep. So, um, so, uh, that was one of my first lessons learned, uh, about, uh, how you lead by example. You know, you, you want to lecture somebody about being complacent and being lazy, but then after you get done with it, you go and jump in the bed and go to sleep. So, you know, back in the day when I started back in the late seventies, um, you know, the, the gods were the fire chief and uh, the battalion chiefs were also gods and they were, they were revered by, by, you know, the firefighters. Sure, sure. And, you know, as, as, yeah, you're right. And as time went along, I realized, you know, management and leadership is not about you. It, it's about being a leader and putting yourself at the bottom of the chart. It's about the inverted table of organization. It's about serving those that you work with and who you lead. Right. And so, you know, as a fire chief, although our as a chief officer, as a company officer, obviously there's some respect that's due, but, you know, you are not there. Uh, your firefighters are not there to serve you. You're there to serve your firefighters and make sure they have all the tools and all the resources and all the training and everything they need to serve what we call ultimately Mrs. Smith. Right. Mrs. Smith should be at the top of the organizational chart. And below her, obviously, is your firefighters and whatnot. But you as the fire chief, it's not long. It's no longer about you. It is about serving your firefighters and making sure that service to the community is foremost and also that your firefighters go home safe at the end of the day. No, that's so true, especially today with how things have changed. You and I both entered right around the same time uh, in the mid to late 70s. Firefighting was different in those days. We weren't we, we weren't that worried about the organic compounds used in in the plastics and other manufacturing at that time we were concerned with the stuff that we knew the the type a framing in the homes that we that we'll face uh still the type of design that the house or building was made with um if a tank if a we know if there's an interest we protect an interstate and there were gas tankers going back and forth or other uh, tankers with hazardous materials, although we didn't officially have hazmat back then, we knew what we had to do and what we looked out for. Today, as you said, it's totally different. But uh, our good, that angel who is on our shoulders today, looking over everything we do, the late Chief Bruno, as you said, said everything, everything we do revolves around Mrs. Smith and taking care of her on her worst possible day, even if that call is only her cat is up a tree, it's still her worst day, and it's our job to not stop making deriding comments. Are we going back to that house again? We go into that old lady. It's to go and do the best we can, help calm her down, get that cat down, give it back to her, and see that smile on her face afterwards. Yeah, we're servants. I mean, you just summed it up. We're servants, and that's what we're here is to serve the public. Uh, as I like to say, it's not about self-interest, it's about public interest. Right. And you, as the leader, uh, you should also be not only a servant to the public, but also servant to your firefighters. Uh, you know, I have, um, I, it's interesting, people say, well, how did you develop your leadership style? And I, I, you know, I never realized, Steve, how my leadership style developed until I was able to some, one day just kind of analyze things. And just like, oh my God, I don't realize this. But my mom shaped and formed my leadership style. Mm -hmm. You know, we've all had mentors and we've all had 
um, those that we've tried to emulate in the past. I've had some good bosses, and I've had some uh, absolutely downright horrendous bosses that actually I learned the most from on how not to be a leader. Because I, I have worked for some people that just had no business being in leadership positions, and I learned. I'm grateful because I learned a lot from them. Sure. But when I go back and talk about my mom, my mom, uh, you know, one of the, one of the memories I have of many memories of my mom is that when we grew up in when I grew up in the 1960s as a young child in in South St. Louis, you know, I lived I grew up on those three-story brick homes that were that lined all those St. Louis city streets. Sure. We only had 36 inches between each house. They were all kind of compact in there. But we had an alley that ran behind our house. And the trash men, as we called them, or the garbage men, would come down twice a week and down that alley. And uh, it's not like today where you have these these lift devices that lift the trash in. They had to walk behind this trash truck and actually lift these cans and dump them into the back of the trash truck. It was hot, smelly work. It was laborious work. You know, in the wintertime, they're walking in the snow. They probably weren't taped very well because they were city workers. But when my mom would hear them coming down the alley, she would go out there with sandwiches and water and give them something to drink and eat. Wow. In the in the wintertime, she would go out there with hot chocolate or she'd go out there with coffee and, again, sandwiches and give them something to eat. And, and, and as I learned it, you know, I learned, you know, she was a servant, serving with a servant's heart others that others would consider them beneath her. That they were people that were, well, these are just garbage men. These are just trash men, you know, but, you know, what are you doing? You're serving them coffee and you're serving them water, sandwiches. But she was a servant and she served them with a servant's heart. And as I went through my career, I, I realized I'm emulating my mother and the way she treated people and how we should treat people as leaders. You know, that we're not the hammer and our employees are a nail. We should be a servant to our employees and make sure they have all the tools and all the resources I've said all the training, whatever it takes to make sure that we're serving Mrs. Smith. So that's some of the foundations and the tenets behind my leadership. And it's also part and a lot of what is written in this book about how to serve as a leader. Because who would you follow if your life depended upon it? Would you follow the person who you have no faith in, that you have concerns about their leadership? Or would you want to follow someone who is decisive, has command presence, has been there and done that, and has a clear, concise, and calm voice when it comes to a, to a crisis. Obviously, it, it, you know who we want to follow is that person who has that calm voice, that is concise, that has a command presence. That is the leader that we want to follow during crises of during crises. At the same time, we look to them to be a servant leader, but at the same time, we expect them to have command presence. So when we talk about fully involved leadership, which is what my book is about. It's about the entire component of being a servant leader, but it is also about being that leader when that crisis develops on those emergency scenes. You know, that's a good point. Do you feel that, uh, I'm not sure how, exactly how long the book has been out for, but do you think there are gonna, there are those leaders out there, I shouldn't say leaders, but let's say, you know, chiefs, various ranks, who are going to give a little pushback because they don't like the, they're not going to like the term that we're servants to our department with, you know, it's, I'm the chief. It's the ego that's more important than, than that. Do you think you're going to find a little pushback or have you experienced any yet? Uh, I, I do. I've had people tell me, Hey, uh, I'm the boss and uh, I should be able to boss people around. I had one person 
literally tell me that. And, uh, I said, well, then, then you need to, um, you know, you need to think about what your leadership style is about because people are only going to, they're going to, they're going to fear you and they're not going to respect you. Right. They're going to be they are They will be your discouraging open thought. Uh, and I'm not talking about open thought when it comes to an emergency scene, but I'm talking about how do we make our departments better? Mm-hmm. How do we, how do we advance from the current levels of where we're at and move our department forward so we can stay in tune and stay in touch with the progress that's being made with technology and strategies and tactics. And as you talked about some of the building construction that's occurring out there, how do we continue to adapt and, 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 and improvise and become, um, you know, the best, better fire department that we already are. How do we do that? But when you trample people down, when you have become a dictator and when you have those leadership tendencies, as I just described, you don't, you don't create that environment where people are encouraged and are enthusiastic about coming to work. Right. Well, that's, as we know, the old adage is, you know, find a job that you love and you'll never work a day in your life. And many of the firefighters that I've met over, over the years do have that love and passion for what they do. But again, as we said, there's always that elephant in the firehouse that's called the ego. Every firehouse I've ever been to and visited or the, the two that I served in, you couldn't get away from that style of leadership as well. But I think what I'm, what I'm hearing in, when I, from that review is that in some way you're kind of soothing, trying to soothe that, soothe that ego and show that there's nothing wrong with having a bit of an ego as long as it's channeled correctly into who you are as the chief or, uh, of the department. And so that you'll have, there's a difference between fear and awe. That's, that's correct. That's a great. I, I, you're exactly right. I love this quote by Rick Warren, um, and he talks about you know humility. You need to be humble as a leader, and humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's just thinking less of yourself. I'm sorry. It's not. Let me say that again. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less is what it is. Right. That's and it's, there's nothing, you need to be humble as a leader. Again, I'll say it again. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's just thinking of yourself less. You should be thinking about others. You know, if you got an ego, that's, that is what it is. But at the same time, you're not thinking you should, if your ego is there, you're not thinking of yourself less. You just think of your, I'm, I keep screwing that up. That's okay. If you have that ego, <laughs> it's, uh, it's not thinking less of yourself. Being a good leader is also thinking of yourself less. Right. That makes sense of what I'm saying. Yeah, sure that's does. a great quote by Rick Warren, who you know, who um, you know, has written several different books. Right. So, but yeah, you're right. You know, you got to put your ego in check. And and I've seen, um, I've seen, uh, you know, I've seen chiefs that have um, think it's all about them. And as I opened and we talked about early on, this is not about you anymore. This is about ensuring that you're delivering good public service to the citizens and making sure your firefighters go home safe. Right. In fact, right. that's one of my quotes. Um, and actually in chapter one of the book, and I'll, I'll just quickly read it to you. It says, uh, being a company or chief fire officer is not about you anymore. It's about demonstrating leadership by focusing on those in your organization and getting your firefighters home safe. That's what leadership is about. And that's what fully involved leadership should be all about. And, uh, and so, yeah, I have 24 chapters in this book that address a variety of different types of things. 
and uh, in, including some of the things I talked before. You said something about I before E, intelligence before emotion. Right. And and that's what I try to teach chiefs. We are one of, one of the things that we do, Steve, as as chief officers and company officers, is our mind and our brain is trained that whenever we see a crisis or an emergency, we have to come up with an immediate solution to deal with it. Right. That's what we do. That's right. what we do every day. We we go on a scene and we see a, a building that has you know smoke coming from it. We make an immediate decision on what we're going to do and how we're going to do it. You go on somebody that has chest pain, they're sweaty and they're diaphoretic, uh, they have a history of heart disease. We start, go that little slide train in our head starts going round and round, and we make immediate decisions how we're going to fix it and how we're going to deal with that. Unfortunately, that decision-making and that brain activity translates into our everyday administrative positions. Right. So all of a sudden, you learn that some uh, firefighter has done something wrong, uh, you're sitting in your office, it's brought to your attention. Uh, immediately, we think, again, because our brains are trained like this, we have to make an immediate decision. We have to react to that. We have to make some type of decision what we're going to do about it. And I, I've been trying to tell chiefs, just slow down, take a pause, do the I before E, intelligence before emotions. Get all the facts, learn all the facts. You're not on an emergency scene. You don't have to make a decision right now. Take a pause. Take a breath. Make sure you talk to maybe your HR department. Talk to your your legal department. Talk to uh, make sure you're getting all the facts before you decide a course of action on how you're going to deal with whatever information has been brought to you. And it's amazing how many chiefs just react again to the information that's brought to them while they're sitting in their office and make an immediate decision that is a wrong decision because they haven't spoke to their legal department. They haven't talked to their HR department. They haven't. They haven't gathered all the facts. And so that's one of my chapters is it talks about intelligence before emotions. And that's also going to play a role in uh, the trickle down effect as well. When the, those below you see that type of strong leadership and the, let's say that guy who had to face the chief comes back and everyone said, well, what did he do to you? Did he, did he you know, hang you up to dry you out? That guy or girl is going to come back saying, uh, no, he told me that, you know, we agreed that I made a mistake and he's going to uh, look into it and um, see what we can do about it. I know I'm never going to do that again. You know, he didn't he didn't jump all over me. He he wanted to know why I did what I did. And I explained I thought it was a joke, et cetera, et cetera. And he's and those people are going to say, well, wait a second. This is a different type of chief. This guy could have he could have hung him out to dry in the in the hose tower for what he did. But instead, he took an interest in the person and why they did it and to see what can be done to rectify the situation on on both sides of the issue. You know, you have somebody like That's that. That's correct. Go ahead, I cut you off. Go no, ahead. sorry, I just going to say you have a you have a leader like that, a chief like that. That creates, you know, that little that little glow about the chief to the rest of the department that he could have, here he is, he could have punished this guy or girl badly and really hurt them, but he didn't. He didn't react on the emotion. He react on That's the correct. facts of what happened. And let's talk about that, he said, rather than, oh, you're going to be punished and I'm going to hang you out, stuff like that. And that's the sign of well, a good leader. Yeah, and, and, and you kind of segue into what I want to talk about because I talk about this in the book also. 
And that is that we as leaders think we have to discipline somebody every time something goes wrong. And I'm like, hold on. You know, do we really think some of these people are doing things intentionally wrong? And so I, I, I talk about the three uns. Either when something goes wrong, the firefighter was either unwilling to do the job, they were unaware of something, or they were unable because they didn't have the tools or the education or the training. And so you, one of the things you need to do is you need to look and say, you know, what what was the root causes? Maybe it was a system problem. Right. And if it's a system problem, maybe the firefighter didn't do nothing wrong, but they were just part of the system. And, I, and I, you know, I'll, I'll talk about a couple examples of this. So, sure. so when I worked in St. Louis back in the day that, uh, you know, those were the old engine houses that were bought, <laughs> that were, I'm sorry, built before the turn of the century, before the 1900s. So the da- doors are narrow. But as we've gone through evolution, you know, the fire truck has gotten bigger. Sure. So, you know, w- what would happen is these, these firefighters would back the engines into the station sometimes, and they would hit the door frame. And, um, and so in St. Louis at the time, if you hit the door frame, it was the 24-hour automatic suspension. Oof. And I used to think, well, who is intentionally going backing in knowing that they're going to hit the door frame? <laughs> And, uh, you know, it, it doesn't make any sense. Right. So it's a, it was a system problem. And eventually we transitioned to let's have spotters in place. Uh, so let's put spotters back there to help them back the engine in. And then even then when I went to Memphis, they had a system in place not only with spotters, but they also had um, a hand-controlled device that came out of the back of the engine that the person who was the spotter could hold in their hand and send a signal to the driver or even stop the engine if it was about to hit the door frame. Wow. And so, uh, you know, so we, w- it was a system problem, Steve. It right. wasn't that we had people backing into the door intentionally, knowing they're going to get a 24-hour suspension. It was a system problem that we had to put it in place and make changes to the system in order to prevent us from hitting the door frame. And I'll give you a classic example again of, of when I went to Memphis as the deputy fire chief, and they recruited me down there to ran, run their EMS system. Um, I had a lot of challenges in there, and Memphis at the time was a pretty heavy-handed disciplinary department, and, and you know, for the most part, it has remained that way. But um, so I had, I was there about three or four weeks, and um, a case came up where a medic was trying to save a critical patient. He's only him and his EMT on the scene. They're on the ambulance. He asked the medic to spike a bag of uh, normal saline. Well, this medic spikes the bag. On the way to the hospital, he discovers that the medics of uh, the EMT spiked the wrong bag, and actually it was a bag of normal saline mixed with some pre-lidocaine, with some lidocaine. Oh. So it was pre-mixed lidocaine in this bag, and so immediately he discontinued the um, he discontinued the uh, IV, and um, so he immediately stops the the IV, reports it to the hospital that the patient was pre-medicated wrongly with a pre-mixed lidocaine. He reports it to the administration. And the first thing I'm asked uh, by one of the chiefs is, how many days suspension are you going to give him? I said, for what? I said, I ought to give him a medal. I said, you know, he, he discovered an error. He reported it to the hospital. He reported it to the administration. And I said, you know, they give the hospital the information they may need so they don't give them some adverse medication to it. Right. It lets us know about it. There's a problem. And, and you know, maybe we have the bags next to each other, maybe they're poorly labeled. 
maybe the bags are too close to each other inside, you know, inside the, uh, the IV bags are too close to each other inside the container they're being carried in. It's a system problem. You know, if I start suspending people, you think the next person is going to report it? No, they're not going to report it. So we'll have a continual cycle of this occurring instead of fixing it. Right. And, uh, and also the hospital needed it. So I, hey, I want to give the guy a medal for reporting it. Yeah, because he didn't do it unwillingly. It was something that might have been an unaware or unable circumstance. Steve, I've seen outstanding firefighters. I've worked with outstanding firefighters all through the years, and so have you. That these people come to work every day wanting to do good and wanting to make a difference in other people's lives. And we, they do something wrong because they either something like this happens with an IV bag or they hit a door frame or whatever accidentally, and or they make a decision. They have a choice between A, B, or C. They choose B. It maybe A was the better choice, and we suspend them. We take that enthusiasm, that love for the job, that love for the profession, and we just just rip it apart for the point where they don't, you know what, I don't care if I come to work anymore type of attitude. And uh, that is not what a, a leader should be doing in the fire service. We should continue to help our firefighters grow and develop in our profession. And, yes, there will be mistakes made from time to time. But I evaluate, was it done unwillingly? Were they unwilling to do the job? Did they intentionally do this knowing it was wrong? Or was it a true, honest mistake that we can learn and we can grow from? Let's fix it. As I always tell, I talked to a chief this morning in my office here. If we if we're talking about a mistake that someone made, I said, let's fix it and let's move on so that we don't make these mistakes again. Right. It's a continual evolutionary process of growing in our profession and that is what we as leaders should be doing is helping our firefighters grow. Well, I think you hit on a, a key issue, and, and that is that uh, And I've, in my real non-fire life, I've always been an educator. And I've always tried to turn a moment like that into a learning experience rather than even if it's a kid misbehaving in, in the classroom. You know, I'll tell him to sit down once and if he, he's still walking around. I'll take it. Over, I'll take him up to the desk, and I'll just talk to him, and try to make it a learning, learning experience for him, rather than thinking I'm gonna, make, I'm gonna penalize him, make, give him a writing assignment to send him to the the principal's office. I don't want to do that because then every other kid, who does a little something off the, the, the uh, behavior manual, so to speak. Uh, is going to be afraid that they're going to go to the office right away or something like that. I don't, and, and I don't want, I didn't want the kids to fear me. I wanted them to work with me as, a, as, as their teacher. The only way you can do that, if you're a teacher, needs to be a teacher today, constantly. Always be willing to, to teach someone and every firefighter, true firefighter who's dedicated to the job, has to be open to continually learning new things. And by turning what was a misbehavior into a learning experience, that kid didn't misbehave again for the rest of the school year with me. He was fine. And when I tutored him for his, his bar mitzvah, he did all his work. He did a great job, and I was very, very proud of him. And, I, and after the service, I shook his hand, and I said to him, Wow, look how far you've come from a year and a half ago when you were you know, a wild kid in the classroom, and I kept having to, to tell you to sit down until we had that talk. And now look at you, how, how far you've come. I that's think, correct. One, yeah, go ahead. That's correct. I want to hear No, I just your, say you're, you're absolutely right. Because, you know, one of the chapter 11 in my book, one of the things I talk about is you should expect to make mistakes. Right. You know, I, I, my quote here is you should go to school on your mistakes and your failures. 
if you don't learn from them, you're bound to repeat them. That's and what you're that. also what you were talking about there is I like to say is that you know if they see you as the hammer, all they're going to see you is as the, you know you're going to see them as the nail. And that's if that's the only thing you have in your toolbox on how to lead, then you're a pretty poor leader. Right. Exactly. So, what brought you around to the decision? You know what? I'm finally going to put this on black and white and digital format, but I'm going to write this book. I, you know, it's interesting. You said I, I enjoy writing, and um, and so I I want again as part of this evolution process of not only not only hoping my firefighters grow here in my department and learn and develop and become the best they can, but it's also the passion I have about let's educate our fire service leaders out there right. uh, about issues and how to lead. You know, one of the things that the military is good about is it's creating leaders. You know, if you go to one of the academies like West Point or the Naval Academy or the Air Force Academy, you're not done with leadership learning and training. You, you have continual classes you go to. Look at the fire service. You know, we don't have a lot of options out there. Our leadership is basically taught on looking at and emulating those that we worked with in the past. You know, we don't have formalized education, um, you know, as, the, as a whole for the fire service. We have the National Fire Academy right. and the EFO program and a, a lot of things like that. The IAFC has some leadership development programs, executive development programs. But, you know, but those are elective things that, you know, the in, individual has to have the you know the, the desire to want to go to so we as a fire service you know we're, we're not good about teaching and formalizing the education and the professional development process and so what this book is about and why i wanted to write this book was at least to try to help facilitate that process of leadership in the fire service and try to at least give some of my thoughts on leadership and what I believe is the proper way to lead people and grow firefighters and serve our communities. Well, I think there's no doubt in my mind from everything I've read about it uh, on the Amazon page and what we're talking about that it's going to be, I would say this is the book that instead of looking at it as a primer, that this should be the postgraduate studies for chiefs and, and aspiring firefighters, as you mentioned. You know, it's funny that at the beginning, when you started in uh, in St. Louis, you mentioned the story of one of the uh, more experienced guys took you aside and and let you have it about your generation of that time. Uh, we know that many of us who j- joined up, whether we were career or volunteer, did so because of new stuff that we saw on TV, especially in the show Emergency. Uh, we, we didn't know that firefighters could be, some of us didn't even know what paramedics were, but it was exciting to see firefighters who could actually do other stuff and still fight fire at the same time. And a lot of us said, oh, we got to do that. Let's, let's go. Let's go into that. And for me, it was just happenstance. There was a volunteer department half a mile down from the apartment we moved into in North Carolina. I was still following it was the last season, I think, of uh, of emergency. I was still f- following them, and uh, when I walked in there just to look at the trucks, I didn't look go in for any, anything else. I met the captain who was walking around. He then brought me over and introduced me to the chief, and I wound up walking out with an application form <laughs> that I had never expected, oh, well. and had to go home and explain that envelope to my wife. <laughs> to my wife, but yes. I learned so much about leadership and about 
mentoring because I, I and the other gentleman I met the night we were voted in, who's still my best friend today, uh, we had two great mentors. Uh, they took us under their wing, and we both, uh, he had a little experience, but I came into the fire service. I could use hand tools. I could use almost any hand tool that you needed, but I didn't know basics like, you know, changing spark plugs or changing oil in my car. I had nothing, no knowledge about firefighting, although I had got, gone through my advanced first aid through the Red Cross. And these gentlemen took their time to teach the two of us because we spent extra time there, even though my my wife luckily taught full a full day, full time, and I had lunch breaks and stuff as, as the director. But anytime I had free time, I went back down to the station to hang around and to learn. These two guys would say, hey, how much time you got? And I said, well, I got about a half hour. And they said, okay, come on, let's go work on the truck and see, I want you to learn where everything is on the rescue. This is what you have to do. You have to learn every cabinet. So let's go through them. And for the four years I was there, that's what these guys did. The the chief saw something in Rich, my partner, and I. He saw us, and he sent us to the State Fire College the first year for basic firemanship. Second year, he selected us with our mentor to go to the second year, which was uh, we did hydraulics and engineers. Third year, we sent... He sent us again. We did high-level rescue. And had we both been able to stay that fourth summer, which we done, he had moved back to Washington, D.C., got a job with Metro PD, and my wife and I were moving up to upstate New York for a new position, he would have sent us to the officer training class at the State Fire College and promoted us to captains when we returned. And I heard the, I heard all about this two and a half years ago when I was back in Greensboro visiting my friends there and I found out the chief was still around. I didn't know at his age if he would still be, be around and he was and I went to his home and he was out, it was like 95 degrees and he was out in the backyard mowing the lawn on his tractor and he came in and he saw me and we went in and we talked for two hours and it was that, that chief who I felt that if I was to be an officer I would emulate because I never heard him berate yes. anybody we had some really tragic incidents that occurred, some even in the department, and yet he never berated anybody for it. He sat down with us and would sit with us and explain to us what happened, how they think it happened, how we should react, what's it going to mean to the department, how we do things, et cetera, et cetera. Never once was there an angry tone in his voice when he taught us about flammable liquids because he was a real expert for those those early days with uh, AFFF before we knew anything about the dangers of AFFF. He would take so much time to explain and, and let us do the practical work of extinguishing a flammable liquid, and yet he never cussed anybody out if you didn't, if, he, if you went through your time on the nozzle and you didn't knock it, out, knock it down. He just said, okay, this is what you gotta do next time. Let's watch so-and-so and see what he does and see if you can do that. If he gets it out, see if you can follow his lead. That's the leader that I wanted to be if I was, if I had so, stayed in the fire service. Exactly. So, you, you know what you're saying, Steve, and it kind of brings me to the, uh, do, you know, before I close out and finishing talking about my book here is the last chapter of my book is just what you talked about. You get to write the final chapter of that fire chief's career. We as fire chiefs are company officers or chief officers, whatever you are, battalion chief, division chief, whatever you are, we don't write the final chapter of our careers. 
our firefighters that we worked with, our firefighters that we served with, they get to write the final chapter. They get that honor of writing the final chapter of our careers. And they will write that chapter based upon how they were treated by you as a leader. They will write that final chapter based upon how that you performed as a leader. You know, I've been in departments and I've heard of people that were fire chiefs or, or battalion chiefs 30 years before me coming on. I never know who they are. If I met them on the street, I wouldn't know who they are. But people talk about them either in glowing terms or they talk about them as though they're the devil. Right. And so they, the firefighters, they, as I say, get to write the final chapter of your career. And what you just did, you wrote the final chapter of that fire chief's career because of how you talked about him and how on how you felt about him. So, you know, as, as I close out here today, I, I say this to you as a leader, if you're listening to this, that is you don't get to write that final chapter of your career. And it will be how you treated people and how you respected them. As I say here in the Champaign Fire Department, we do CPR. And, you know, of course you do CPR. People will say, yeah, you do CPR. You know, you go into cardiac arrest, you do CPR. I said, I always say, no, we do a different type of CPR. We do CPR where we do compassion, professionalism, and respect. We're compassionate to the people that we interact with. We are showing them professionalism, and we also show them respect. And so you as a leader, you should also be doing CPR. You should be compassionate. You should be professional, and you should be respectful of those that you interact with. And if you do that, the firefighters who write the final chapter of your career will write a beautiful chapter of the career that you had as a, as a chief fire or company officer. Great words. Great thought. And I love that CPR. I think that's, uh, that's something new for the fire service that uh, we should spread across the stations and departments across this country. That's a great way of looking at CPR, compassion, professionalism, and respect. Well, the book sounds great. Absolutely. The book sounds great and something that I'm going to read, even though I'm out of the fire service. Does that, I still want to learn from that. And, folks, if you want to get the book, uh, you, can go to, you can go to Amazon, and you'll find it. Just search for uh, Fully Involved Leadership. I'm going to put a link to the book on Chief Ludwig's insert on our guest page, so be able to find it there, and it'll take you right to, right to the Amazon page. If you're not one for searching around on Amazon, that's fine. We'll give you the link. We'll put that right on there for you, and you'll be able to get it then. Uh, Chief, that's great, and I think I wish you all the luck with the book because I, it's a whole. It's like a breath of fresh air. I've read a lot of books on leadership, a lot of articles. I've written several articles on on leadership myself, but I think listening to you describe your efforts and your thoughts in, in writing this book, I think you've taken a, a new turn and a new set up a new highway for us to travel down. We know that, that life often does that, gives us new paths. And as a matter of fact, when we come back in a few moments, we're going to talk about a new path that you'll be on uh, very shortly. But I think that you've set a new path with the book of how a leader can still be a leader, but they can remember remember how to do CPR with their with their troops. That's the thing. I think if you can be that leader, if you keep the CPR, compassion, professionalism, and respect as part of your leadership that the your firefighters see under you uh, and who serve you. And I think not only that, but I think the change that you bring to your department 
by reading this book and by following the CPR is going to be seen by the citizens as well. And, of course, you can't have a more important audience than the people that we serve when we're out there taking care of them. Correct. And also, uh, if I if I may add, it's sure. available on Amazon in paperback and also on Kindle. But if you want a personalized signed copy, um, I have a website, and it's GaryLudwigBooks.com. Gary so Ludwig if you go to GaryLudwigBooks.com. Okay, we'll put and that if you go to that, too. you can order a book directly uh, where I will personalize it and sign it for you also. Very nice, very nice. Okay, and we'll put that on the website too, GaryLudwigBooks.com. All right, folks, we're going to be right back with Chief Gary Ludwig right after these messages, and we're going to talk about the new path on his life coming up in just a few months. So we'll be right back right after these words. Please stay tuned. The tone sound and the dispatcher announces stations 14 and 16, working residential structure. That was all you needed to hear. You jump up from your chair, head to the engine, and climb into the jump seat. As the queue screams, you take stock of your PPE, bunker pants, check, turnout coat, check, hood, check, gloves, check, escape line, check, SCBA strapped on, you're ready. Upon arrival, you jump off the apparatus, grab the loops of the red cross lay, and head for the open front door where smoke is pouring out. You make sure your buddy's behind you. You crouch low and make your way inside, your trusty SCBA mask hanging on your tool belt. What? Stop everything. What the hell are you thinking? You see it's a working room and contents fire, and the smoke is banking down almost to the floor. Who do you think you are, Superman? One breath of that crap and the smoke will damage you in some way, guaranteed. All the soot, carbon, carcinogens, and other outgassing materials will enter your body through the pores on your unprotected face. Don't be the domino, the first person down that forces everyone else to change their tasks to take care of you. Always remember, face peace on. You have comrades depending on you and a family to go home to. Face peace on. No matter where we live or no matter the season, there is always work to be done that makes us sweat. Just how can we keep cool? Well, Hennessy Distributing has the answer. Cool towels. Cool towels are 100% cotton towel and pre-moistened with all natural ingredients. The best part? No water is needed. Just open your cool towel pack, remove the towel and give it a couple of shakes and you're all set. Wrap it around your neck like a kerchief Wipe your face, arms, neck, or any exposed skin, and it is approximately 20 to 30 degrees below the ambient temperature. Wait, did it warm up? No problem. Just shake it a couple of times again, and Cool Towel delivers its refreshing cool touch all over again. When the cooling mixture has expired, use your Cool Towel as you would any cloth or rag around the house. Because it is manufactured from 100% cotton, your Cool Towel is 100% recyclable. For more information or to get your cool towel today, visit www.cooltowel.com or call 1-800-918-8323. Remember, you're going to work and you're going to sweat. Make cool towel your answer to keeping cool. You're ready to call it a night. The kids are tucked in, the lights are out, and the dog's in the den. Seems all is calm. But stop. It's not all right. To keep you and your family safe in the event of a fire, we're advising you to close before you doze. Close your bedroom doors when you go to sleep. Why? Because closed doors dramatically decrease heat and carbon monoxide levels, which provide trapped occupants more time for help to arrive. And closed doors can slow the spread of the fire, 
increase oxygen levels, and decrease temperatures dramatically. You've invested in smoke and carbon monoxide alarms. You've practiced fire escape plans with your family. Now learn another important way to protect all of you. Close before you doze. Also remember, if you are able to escape, make sure the last one out closes the main door. Remember, close before you doze. This message is brought to you by the UL Firefighter Safety Research Institute, closebeforeyoudoze.org, your local fire department, and this podcaster. And we're back with this episode of Five Alum Task Force, news and issues for today's first responders. And my guest is Chief Gary Ludwig, a gentleman that I've read and followed for uh, probably over 30 years. I started reading his columns in in Firehouse Magazine. I believe I've read every one that he wrote uh, over the years. Uh, And if you haven't, I, I can only say you go back and see if you can research online today since we have that technology read the articles that he has written in Firehouse Magazine. Uh, Each one, whether you're a firefighter, paramedic, or an EMT, each one of those columns is going to teach you something very positive and very strong for you as a person, for you as a firefighter, medic, EMT, for you as just a firefighter in this business. Now, as we said at the end of the first segment, we had a great segue to this segment because the chief is t- making a major change in his life. He announced uh, recently that uh, this past year he was uh, elected the first vice president of the IAFC, the International Association of Fire Chiefs, for our listeners who are um, in other countries. Uh, this summer, chief, correct, this summer, You'll be yeah, in August. In August, August eighth, actually, August eighth, Chief Ludwig will be uh, elected to the uh, office of president of the IAFC and chair of the board, and that's a great honor for you, Chief. One that certainly is well deserved. But let's talk about what that's going to entail. And other than I know you have to take a hiatus on writing the columns for Firehouse because you have a little bit more important, those are great articles, but to, to run the IAFC and set the goals for the job that you love and have such a passion for is going to be a new task that I'm sure you're going to face head on and go charging in like the leader that you are. Uh, yes. And, um, you're absolutely right, Steve. And, um, what an honor uh, it will be for me to you know, move into that role as, as president and chairman of the board of directors for the International Association of Fire Chiefs. And um, one of the things that's you know, so exciting and surreal to me about it is, is that the International Association of Fire Chiefs is one of the oldest professional organizations in the United States, started in 1873. And uh, it was started at the time they were called the International Association of Fire Engineers because uh-huh. um, that's what the, that's what the head person of each department was called. They weren't the fire chief; they were fire engineers. And so they uh, they got together. Uh, it was mostly the big city fire chiefs got together, um, and they met in Baltimore for the first time in 1873. And they started talking to each other about what are the issues that are facing America 
and the United States when it comes to fires. And uh, it is, uh, I've been at an opportunity to go back and look at those proceedings from back then. I've been, I've been had the honor and the privilege to hold the book that the recording secretary wrote back in 1873. Oh, wow. And it is amazing that some of the issues that still face us today, they were talking about, you know, almost 150 years ago. And so for me to step into this role um, is, is, is surreal for a kid from South St. Louis. And uh, it is it is a, will be an honor of a lifetime for me to step into this role. So I, I, I I'm uh, it's only with God's blessing that I've been able to get to this point in my career. Well, I think God had a little help in that decision because uh, He was probably watching you and seeing what you were doing to help the fire service all these years. So what what do you have on your, you know, if you had a scribbled an agenda as the chief? for the tenure, what, what, what are some of the objectives, what are some of the goals you're looking to uh, accomplish uh, with the IAFC during your tenure? So here, here's one thing that um, is, I'm very passionate about, and uh, I've already been talking with people even before me taking office on how do we, how do we kick this off, how do we um, roll it out, how do we sustain it? And so I'm going to have a campaign that I'm going to kick off, Steve. And so you're actually uh, the first public announcement of this, so uh, which is kind of cool for your show. But um, my program is going to be called, If You Don't Feel Well, Don't Make It Your Farewell. And if you look at the firefighter deaths that we have every year, um, about 50 of them every year or so are cardiac events. So the majority of what firefighters die from are cardiac events. Right. And if you go back, Steve, and read these NIOSH reports, almost to a person, they say at some point, I don't feel good. I don't feel right. Uh, they might, I don't feel well. Something feels funny. And what do we tell them to do? Tell them to go back there and lay down. Yeah. Go back there in the bunk hall and lay down or, or take a break or why don't you just go on home? And then later they're found dead. Right. And so – we need to educate our firefighters and we need to educate our chief officers that when someone says after training or after some high intensity event where your heart has been racing suddenly from, it goes from 70 to 130 that, you know, that if you don't feel well, then we need to put you on a monitor. We need to send you either at the minimum, we need to put you on a monitor and look and see what your heart's doing. Or we need to send you to the hospital and get you checked out. And we, I think if we do this, we can prevent a lot of these cardiac events from occurring. And so my theme, and we're going to roll it out, uh, is going to be called, if you don't feel well, don't make it your farewell. And uh, that is one of my overarching things I'm going to be driving. I've already have uh, some sponsors that I'm talking to that will help us financially get this rolled out and sustained with marketing and the other things that need to be done. And uh, my job, as I see it, is just not to assume a title with the IASC, but also to make a difference. I don't want to just sit in a seat and warm that seat. I want to, do the, during the tenure that I'm there, I want to clearly make a difference in the lives of the firefighters that serve with not only myself, but also in our nation here. And maybe even the, the, uh, you know, on the international level, because, uh, you know, we can't disregard our brothers and sisters in other countries either. Right. You know, right. they suffer cardiac events also. But, you know, let's let's 
do something about saving some of these firefighters who have cardiac events every year, which is the majority of what our firefighters die from. Oh, absolutely. That's That was one of the things that, that actually drove me into social media and um, and then pushed me into the podcast by some of my friends on, on social media was the fact that I was tired of getting the, the trades and reading the uh, line of duty deaths and seeing that anywhere from 40 to 70%, 75% of those listed were possible cardiovascular health issues. And most of those issues present themselves, most of them, not always, but most of them present themselves, as you just said, earlier on where the person says, I felt funny or I didn't feel well. And last October, I was invited to, uh, by Captain Joe DeVito, from uh, Naples at the Great Florida Fire School, they invited me to make a presentation of something I was passionate about. And so mine was firefighter health, and it's called the the uh, elephant in the firehouse, when ego gets in the way of the passion. And part of the presentation deals with those firefighters whose ego is so big that they have to be always, they're the loudest in the, in the on that crew, everybody knows them, they're always the jokester, but he always has to be, he has to be that first one through the door on the nozzle until the time he pushes himself through, even though he didn't feel well, even on the apparatus on, on arrival, he just pushed it off and he goes charging through the door. But before he gets over the threshold, he collapses, grasping his chest and he becomes what I call the first domino. Because when that first domino falls, every other domino on that fire ground falls and must do something else than what they were immediately doing before and so i think your program what it's, it will help get that message through and break through those egos a bit and show them how important it is to take care of themselves even because if they don't they cannot take care of the citizens they protect absolutely and um so it's going to be an education campaign and um and so Again, it's about talking about making sure firefighters go home safe at the end of the shift, whether it's from a wall collapsing on them or whether it's from, a, you know, a heart attack. You know, one of, I have so many tragic stories when it comes to this. I, um, there, here I am in Champaign County here in central Illinois, and um, it was only a couple of years ago there was a volunteer fire department not very far from here where um, it's a 43-year-old firefighter. They go on some type of call. They get back to the station, and uh, he tells all the guys, I, I just feel like hell. I, I feel like, you know, uh, you know, I use expletives, if you don't mind. I no. feel like shit, yeah. is what he told them. I'm sorry for, you know, the expletive no, there, but that's what he said. It's okay. And they, they said to him, they said, I'll go on, you know, we'll, we'll clean up, you'll go on home. They said, he said, okay. Five minutes later, Steve, they're dispatched to a crash scene, and it's him. Yeah. He crashed into a tree, and he's dead. He died of a heart attack, yeah. 43 years old, volunteer firefighter. Should have never, never had that point where they told him just to go home. But it, they don't—they didn't know any better. The firefighters didn't know any better because we need to educate them right. about if you don't feel well, don't make it your farewell. We need to stop this paradigm, or not this paradigm, we need to stop this culture of just telling guys to go back home or go lay down in the bunk hall or whatever. Let's get them on a monitor. Let's find out what's going on with them EKG-wise, with their heart, or at least send them to the hospital 
let's see, you know, for all we know, you know, they're having some type of coronary event, and we're telling them to go back there and lay down. And all of a sudden, you know, they throw some type of R-on-T phenomenon on their EKG, and next thing you know, they're dead. They go to the V-fib. Yeah. Um, you know, let's, let's do something for our brothers and sisters out there when it comes to making sure they go home at the end of their shift. You know, that's exactly what happened to me in my department in New York. We had a, a tragic accident off the interstate. The van went down carrying, I think the van was carrying 11 people. We had three fatalities. And it was, for October, it was a very warm day in Syracuse. Very warm day. And we had to use ropes to get down the incline to the, the van where it had wound up and getting, transporting our, our, our patients first up to the ambulances uh, on, you know, with the skid system to get them up there. And so I was there for about three and a half hours. And then I went back to my office to work and I finished about 6.30 and I felt like crap. I really did. And I went down to this, I called my wife, told her I'm going to stop by the station for a minute is what I told her. I didn't say anything. And uh, I walked in and I said, I'm not feeling well, guys. And it happened to be one of our uh, deputy chiefs was there. And he asked me what the story was, and I told him. And he was also a paramedic. And he said, uh, let me call the chief. I want to check on something. So he called the chief and came back. He says, you know what? We don't take care of our own well enough. So let's work Steve up. There were three paramedics in the station at the time just hanging around. He was one of them. And they worked it up, sent me into the hospital, and it turned out I had uh, sweated out all my salts on that call because we didn't at that time we didn't have Gatorade or anything like that, just had water, but we were just too busy to to drink. And we were wearing most uh, gear. We weren't wearing any tanks, but we were wearing our gear uh, because that was the rule, which was a great rule considering some of the brambles and stuff we walked through down down below. And they took me to the hospital and they gave me a couple of IVs and I stayed overnight and I was released the next day. But if I had, you know, lost, sweated out all my potassium and sodium, I wasn't that far away, the doctor said, of having a cardiac event. Absolutely. And, and, and you just talked about it. When your electrolytes get imbalanced like that, you can go into arrhythmias. Right. And, and in, that arrhythmia can lead to ventricular or ventricular fibrillation or ventricular tachycardia. So, I mean, Steve, you know, you're very fortunate to still be with us today because you were on that break there. Yeah. And these are the exact things that I'm talking about. Um, after a very strenuous training event or a, uh, you know, an operational call, you know, it's not only, it's not only you know, um, the sudden surge of what's going on in our body, but it's also the electrolyte imbalances that it can occur. And there's been also... Um, some research that shows that the carbon monoxide that gets into our build, into our bodies from these fire scenes can also trigger cardiac events too. Oh, sure. So all that stuff. And here, you, I didn't know that you experienced this firsthand, but you know, here it is. You know what we're talking about. You went through the exact same thing we're talking about. Yeah, yeah. I was I was very lucky, and the the I the the three guys who took care of me I liked very much. In the, we were part of a group of friends. And I was blessed that they happened to be there when I uh, came down there, and that the chief ordered a, a full workup. It, you know, at first, at first I said, "Well, you know, don't, oh, this is too much bother. Don't bother." And then they said, "It's the chief's order, so just shut up and lay down. You know, we're going to take care of you." And and I know, and I've seen so sadly, since I monitor it so so acutely, so many firefighters 
that pass. Sorry about that. No problem. Do you have to go? Weather warning here in Champaign. Sorry about that. Okay. Well, then we hope everyone's going to be safe. Do what you need to do with this weather warning, folks. If you're listening out in, in the Champaign area, please take care of yourselves. Yeah, so I think that this this campaign that you're planning is so important today, and it's gonna need to needs to break through that uh, this different glass ceiling that I call it. This, this has nothing to do with wages. This is how we do how we do our job, and we do it the correct way rather than just doing it on the emotion of responding to a call. I had a kid who came, just got in, on board the department. He was my neighbor, and we got called on a second alarm for mop-up on a, on a restaurant fire. And we're in the back, and I get, made sure everybody was masked up. To te- did you test your gear? Yeah, everybody tested the gear. Okay. And we're about halfway to the location, and all of a sudden I hear bells ringing, and I'm looking at this kid. It was his tank. He had never taken it off. He sucked the whole tank down halfway to the scene. And... Oh, my God. Yeah, and I, I, I said, you know, let's get this off. And I walked over to him. We're still driving there. And I said, what happened? He says, well, I thought we told us to mask up. I said, I told you to test it, not not keep breathing it for the whole time. So we changed. I said, you got to calm down. This was his first real call in like three months that he had been on. He had, he had reached the age of 18 and he was able to be on. So I, I understood it, and I tried to teach, make a teaching moment out of it. And tell them that when you were told to mask up in the vehicle, that's to test it. Make sure we're getting our flow. Make sure we have a good seal. Um, and, and then shut it off and take your mask off and wait for the orders when we get to the scene. I said, so that's what you need to do from now on. And he goes, okay. And it was, you could still see he was excited and he, was, he felt bad that he had done something wrong. But I didn't want to castigate him. There was nothing to be gained by you know, me whopping him around for doing that. It just had to be a learning moment for him. And Mm -hmm. as you said, we have to take emotion and kind of tuck it in our our back pocket when we answer an alarm. We have to do what has to be done. And most of the time, the adrenaline helps us do that. We just, uh, we focus on what the job is. We listen for our orders from an officer or the chief, and we do what has to be done. Yeah, afterwards, when the adrenaline has dissipated from our system, a lot of that washes back over us, and we have to deal with it. And that's another topic that, of course, we on the podcast always, which is the mental health awareness for our firefighters as well, not just the physical health. And you know, we have some great people now involved in that campaign as well. And I think that your the title of your campaign can be... A tr- can be worked for both both areas uh, it, it's going to be integral to the cancer initiative that we, we're all working on and to reduce exposure to our firefighters therefore reducing the chance of them contracting a form of cancer uh, where in some departments we're winning that battle and we're doing well in some others they're harder to convince uh, they, you know, and a lot of people use money as the blame, but there's a lot of things that can be done that don't cost the department or the firefighter anything. And we're very lucky in the state of Florida, the last fall, with the governor and the lieutenant governor and the chief fire official, every department in the state of Florida 
was able to receive an on-scene decon bucket with all the supplies they would need to start and video and printed instructions of how to do it at no cost for each apparatus in that department. All they had to do was file the form for it, and they got it for free. So if you had five apparat working apparatus, you got five buckets. You have three, you got three buckets. Whatever you, whatever you need, needed, the state of Florida provided for you. C career the, or a mm -hmm. volunteer, didn't make any difference. So there are ways that we can, together, working with the leadership, the local, the regional, and the national leadership, that we can help our firefighters learn to take care of themselves better as part of your campaign and make that the umbrella for these major issues besides be, uh, their actual health, wellness, and fitness for duty, plus the cancer initiative and the behavioral health initiatives. This campaign can do a great, a great amount of good for the the American fire service and maybe some of our foreign partners who listen because we have listeners in 40 countries to our podcasts. And this campaign could be a great umbrella to encourage others to do the same thing that you're, that you want to do here in the, in the U S and that's going to be very important. Yes. So, you know, we talk about cancer and some of the other things, the IFC um, is on the forefront of a lot of those niches along with some of the other, national fire organizations, including the IAFF right. and also the National Volunteer Fire Council right. and the National Fire Protection Association. And one of the things that we were able to successfully get passed last year through the legislature was the Firefighter Cancer Registry, right. uh, which will uh, allow, set up, gives the Department of Health and Human Services, um, you know, the legislation, we've we got to get it all funded now, though, um, sets up the enabling legislation to allow that department to set up a cancer registry so that we can get a better grasp on the situ situation of what's going on with cancer among our firefighters and how do we track that and how we how do we determine the scope of what is impacting us. So we know it is, we just don't know the scope by which it is fully impacting us or the magnitude of what it's doing. And so that's what the that's what the IFF along with other national fire organizations have done, you know, in the area of the cancer registry. And, you know, and we're working on so many other areas, too, uh, to make sure that, that, um, that uh, you know, that we are trying to make sure that the fire service, you know, is fully funded when it comes to the SAFER grants. Right. Uh, to the AFG grants. We're asking Congress to fully fund each one of those programs at $405 million this year. The, uh, so it'll be $405 million for the SAFER and $405 million for AFG. I don't know if that will pass eventually or not, but those are things that we're asking for. We just spent last week up on Capitol Hill, right. many, caucus. many members of the IFC going from you know one Capitol Hill office to another, meeting with legislatives, le legislators and also meeting with their staff and talking about a lot of these issues. You know, we, we had great conversations with the U.S. Forest Service also. Because we realize, you know, and talk about the magnitude of how we can partner together to address the issue of, you know, this wildland urban interface fire issue that we have. Sure. Because we know that no longer is there a fire season, but there is a fire year. 
Right. And not only is it just the West Coast that's being affected by wildland fires, but we're seeing it all throughout the United States. You know, Florida expand, experienced it, you know, several years ago. Tennessee in the Pigeon Forge area. Right. You know, you talk about, you know, the, what, what occurred down there last year. So this is not a, a problem just on the West Coast during a certain time of the year anymore. Wildland fire is an issue for all across the United States at all times of the year. And uh, I guess the IFC um, has a total of three lobbyists that are up on Capitol Hill all the time trying to advance the causes of the fire service and working with our Congress to make sure our firefighters remain safe and that the programs that are federally funded are funded fully and that uh, and that benefit, the fire departments benefit from that. Well, that's great. And it, it's it's great to know that we have good leaders up there and good people up there uh, speaking for us. And I think it's important that our firefighters know that they don't just have to depend on the people that are the lobbyists and the leaders of the IFC and the other organizations. As firefighters, as citizens, you have a voice. And when we're talking about the SAFER and the, and the other grants, you can write to your representative, your senators and your representatives and let them know, please pass the fully fund the, the fire, fire department grants for the coming budget year because we need it. And you have a voice. And believe me, when these senators and, and uh, representatives receive lots of emails, mails, and phone calls about certain issues, that that raises the, the little hairs on the back of their neck to realize that some people have real, real interest in in what's going on in Washington uh, for their for their for their better interests, and they have a voice that they want to use. And since we just you know we won't have another election for another year and a half, we have to do it by contacting these people and let them know our position. We want you to take care of us so that we can take care of you. That's what it boils down to. Exactly, and so that's one of the things that the IFC does. And one of the, you asked me about some of my initiatives, and one of the things that I am strongly going to be voicing is that if you are not a member of the IFC, you need to join us. And right. uh, we have some chief officers and some departments that benefit from safer grants. They benefit from AFG grants. They benefit from the work that we do up on Capitol Hill to get these programs fully funded. And then they apply for these grants without the benefit of joining our organization. So I want to challenge others that are not members of our organization to join I'm also going to challenge our members that if you know a surrounding fire department that is not a member of the IFC, that they need to join our organization because it will only bolster our numbers and bolster our impact that we have up on Capitol Hill and all the other issues that we try to advance for the fire service. Exactly. Our voice needs to be heard, and it can be heard in different ways. And, you know, you can even let let right to the IFC. Let them know what your feelings are, that you support it. Maybe you don't feel, for whatever reason, you don't feel comfortable writing to a legislator. But you can always write to the IAFC and let them know what, you know, what, you, what you're looking for, what you're hoping for will happen. And they'll take that into account as well because they're there. If you're a member. If you're a member. Right, if you're a member. We exactly. want you to be a member. If you're going to write us, you need to join our, join our organization. You know, we got a lot of fire departments out there and a lot of chief officers who should be members of our organization, and they're not. 
And so, uh, I, again, I'm going to be a strong advocate and a strong voice for you need to join our organization. And if you have been the beneficiary of your department of an AFG or a SAFER grant that has, has been uh, got there because of the work that the IFC and other national fire organizations have done, you need to join our organization. Oh, absolutely. And I'll tell you, I'm very lucky. I have a very good friend down here who, whom you know, and that's Executive Chief Todd LaDuke. Uh, and you know how, how busy he is with the SHA, SHS division. And Todd. Yeah, the safety, health, and survival section. Exactly. Yes. And we, he's been on the show several times. Uh, and together we've worked with the, the medical and research team from the University of Miami Sylvester Comprehensive Care Centers. They've been on the show. We're planning. We're actually submitting an abstract to uh, the next next uh, next year's conferences, and it, it talks about this. The same thing is reaching out to feel. Make sure your health, firefighter health, is your number one concern besides your family. They, they've been wonderful and so cooperative, and we're looking forward to uh, continue working with them. Now, uh, but a, a firefighter. A firefighter who's just a line firefighter, they can't join the IFC. It's just for the chiefs, right? Well, we do have a company officer section. Oh, okay. We have different types of membership. So if you're a firefighter and you want to join us, we have different types of membership. You know, And, and so um, we do have a company officer section also uh, because one of the roles that we do as fire chiefs and chief officers is we should be developing professionally those that are coming up behind us. And right. so – that's what that chief officer. That's what they, I'm sorry. That's what that company officer section is all about. So, so you can be a firefighter. You can be a company officer. You don't have to necessarily be a chief officer to be a member of our organization. We have different types of membership levels, and so, um, so yeah. If you're a firefighter and you want to join us, you're certainly welcome to join us. We're constantly putting out good information to our members. You would have access to what we call KnowledgeNet, which is a system that I can write on KnowledgeNet. I need an SOP for um, for drones, as an example, right? Because they're you know that's something that's new. And sure. So, as soon as I put that on KnowledgeNet, with within the next day, I'll probably have four or five responses or more from our members, and they will attach their copy of their policy for drones. It's it's an excellent uh, dynamic for marketing. I'm sorry for networking, where you as a chief officer can share information with others, share ideas, share information share SOP, share protocols. It's just, KnowledgeNet is just a fabulous tool for those that are looking for information or wanting to share information. That's that's one of the benefits you get as a member along with a lot of other benefits. And so, so uh, yeah, so um, anybody who, uh, again, it doesn't necessarily have to be a chief officer, um, could be a company officer or a firefighter, you're more than welcome to join our organization. Well, that's great. And the more we have, the stronger we are as an organization. And uh, that's that's what's important, because a strong organization can help its members. A weak organization is basically a waste of time. I've been involved with both. Yeah, I, uh, you know, you know, it's you know, we have over twelve thousand members in the IFC, but you know, in, in my idealistic mind, I think we should have over a hundred thousand. You know, it's just uh, just how I think about things. Right. But but you know, getting to fifteen thousand, you know, would be uh, you know a nice milestone. But, um, again, I'm, I'm going to challenge our membership when I become president to sign up other departments, um, especially if they have benefited from our work. Right. If, they're, if we're carrying the water, 
and they're benefiting from our work, they need to be joining our organization and becoming members. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, Chief, this has been a great discussion today. I, I, I love what we talked about the book. There's so much there that, uh, that I want to read um, to, learn from, uh, to learn from you. And now knowing that you're going to be the president of the IAFC and the directions you want to take, and that, you know, I, I'm just so uh, proud and happy to hear that your primary primary uh, campaign is regarding firefighter health. And that's, that's what we've needed for a number of years since we started seeing this, this downward curve, unfortunately. And everybody was kind of like waiting for somebody else to do something about it. And now you're going to do it under your administration with the IEFC starting in August, August 8th to be exact, folks. He'll be sworn in as the chief of the IFC. So, Chief, again, my sincere thanks for taking time. I know you have a real full schedule. And I'm sure a book tour is not too far, not too far away. Uh, but I thank you for making time for the podcast and joining me. It's always a pleasure to to speak with you and to learn from you. To, you know, I look forward to reading whatever you put out to the general public while you're working at the IFC, uh, and uh, probably some of the luckiest people in this on this in this country right now are the people of the champ of champagne where you protect them because they have a great well, chief I'm, who's looking out for them. Thank you. I'm honored to be the fire chief here and I'm even more honored to work with the firefighters that, uh, that I work with here. They are, they are true servants and outstanding people. And I'm just, I'm just ecstatic to work with such professionals. And so I also want to thank you for all the work that you do your podcast to get information out there. So, Steve, uh, you're, you're, you are such an asset to us to get this information out. And so I uh, thank you for doing that. And I also thank you for allowing me to come on your podcast and, and talk. Well, it's, it's my pleasure. Um, as soon as I saw the information, I knew this was something I wanted to have you on again for. And uh, hopefully, maybe maybe around midterm, we'll be able to grab you again, see how the first the first year went. But again, my sincere thanks to Chief Gary Ludwig for spending time with us today. We'll be right back right after these words. Please stay tuned. You're listening to Five Alarm Task Force, news and issues for today's first responders. Psst. Yeah, you. It's me, your heart. Listen to me. We've got to talk. High blood pressure is serious, and yours... Whoa, what happened to us? We used to be so much more active. But lately, you've been ignoring me. I know you think I'm just going to keep ticking away forever, but you're wrong. You can do so much more to control your high blood pressure. Doing the minimum isn't doing enough. I'm under a lot of pressure and can quit whenever I want. Bet you didn't know that. But I like my job. Just treat me better. Check on me. Give me something green to nibble on every once in a while. And maybe we can do some exercise on occasion. Let's get to it. After all, we're in this together. Listen to your heart. Don't let it quit on you. High blood pressure can lead to a stroke, heart attack, or death. Get your blood pressure to a healthy range before it's too late. Find out how at heart.org slash blood pressure. Check, change, control. A message from the American Heart Association, the American Stroke Association, and the Ad Council. It's Thursday night, and you're grabbing drinks with some friends. Start it off with a pitcher for the table, which quickly becomes two. 
there's pool. And there's the photo booth. All right, everybody squeeze in, say cheese. Followed naturally by an order of wings. And another. Can we get some extra ranch sauce? Then there's the ceremonial nightcap. So what are we doing this weekend? And lastly, it's back to the car, which, if you're buzzed, could be the most expensive night of your life. Getting pulled over for buzz driving could cost you around $10,000 in fines, legal fees, and increased insurance rates. Nothing kills a buzz like getting pulled over for buzz driving, because buzz driving is drunk driving. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. Hi, this is Steve. If you're a regular listener to this podcast, you know that as of late, we have placed a very strong focus on another major issue that is affecting all first responders, firefighters, EMS, law enforcement, and even recovery operators, the people who bring in the tow trucks to take away when there's an accident on active roadways. And you need to understand, folks, an active roadway just isn't an interstate. Any roadway, even if it's a small rural two-lane road, and there's an accident there, it's an active roadway. That's what it is. Sure, you have maybe fire police or your local police or sheriff's office helping to block traffic. But the fact is, with distracted drivers, they're going right through those blocks. And we need something better. And we're going to do something very special. We are recording on Monday, May 13th, a week from tomorrow. We are recording a special panel podcast on this very topic. And there's some news, late news that's been coming out that, uh, that some of the companies and manufacturers are working on. We'll talk about that. But my guests for that panel include Chief Billy Goldfeder, who needs no introduction, Mr. Steve Austin, who, as an expert in fire police work and in the insurance business and one of the co-founders of Respondersafety.com, which deals with this issue. Steve has graciously agreed to be on the panel. Also, Chief Victor Conley of Irving, Texas, who went through this when they used the tiller as a blocking vehicle and a semi came down so fast it totaled the tiller and severely injured four firefighters who thankfully survived and are back to work. Chief Tony Correa from New Jersey. Tony has a lot of years on EMS and fire, and he knows what, it's, what happens on the roadways and the, uh, that come through his part of Jersey. I used to live there. I know what it's like as well. And finally, Chief Brian Soler. Chief uh, Soler uh, is a chief on the New York Thruway in an area in the Catskills. So he also, when he contacted me, said that they've dealt with this issue as well. And so these five members of and leaders in the fire service and in safety for all responders are coming together for this panel discussion. And it will air, it will drop, as we say in the vernacular, it will drop the following Monday, the, 20, the 20, 20th of May. So I hope you'll tune in and I hope you'll encourage others in your department to tune in 
especially officers and chief officers. This is going to be an important podcast, and I hope that you'll be able to pass the information around where they can listen to it. You know all the places at our website, www.dalmatianproductions.tv, or on all the podcast platforms. You can find us. Just search for Five Alum Task Force. So be careful out there. We're going to try to help you with this information. We have some great guests, as you heard, and it's a matter of life and death for those of us who respond to emergencies on active roadways, all of us. So may uh, we all be safe, and let's stick around. Let's make sure everyone goes home. And that's my view. Did you know that 90% of American communities are served by volunteer fire departments and that many of those departments are actively looking for more volunteers? When you hear those sirens, do you say to yourself, wish I could do that? If you have the drive to serve, you can be a volunteer too. Volunteer and combo departments are always looking for new recruits. You'll be trained in the latest firefighting and rescue techniques and protecting your community at the same time. You'll be joining the ranks of over 1 million men and women who serve their cities and towns, protecting lives and property. Did you know that the founder of the first volunteer fire department was Benjamin Franklin? If old Ben can do it, so can you. Drop by your local fire department and introduce yourself. You just might know some of the folks already there. Before you know it, those volunteers will be like family. Anyone can be a volunteer, sure. It takes time and effort, but in your heart, you'll realize that it's all worth it. Want more information? Contact your local fire department or visit makemeafirefighter.org. And that wraps this episode of Five Alarm Task Force, news and issues for today's first responders. We'd like to thank our guest, Chief Gary Ludwig, for joining us to discuss his new book, Fully Involved Leadership. Did you know you can now find us and subscribe to us on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, and most podcast platforms? Just search for Five Alarm Task Force. We also want to thank our sponsors, Insight Training, LLC, and the Firehouse Tribune, and our promotional partners, Dalmatian Productions, Chief Miller Products and Sites, Hennessy Distributing, your source for the cool towel, the Firefighter Cancer Foundation, the Firefighter Cancer Support Network, Nestor Bars, and the 2019 Great Florida Fire School. If you would like to be a guest with us or have a suggestion for a show, please drop us a line to dalmatbroadatoutlook.com. You can follow us on Twitter at dalmatbroad or at cause underscore origin and on Facebook at forward slash dalmatbroad and dalmatbroadfire and stay up to date with all the news about our podcast, Dalmatian Productions, and our blog on our website, www.dalmatianproductions.tv. I'm Steve Green. Until next time, stay safe, stay well, and let's make sure everyone goes home.